How many of you have heard the phrase, become the best version of yourself? Yeah? Great. I googled it because I have a fascination with trite phrases that come from our culture. I'm fascinated with how shallow they are. So I googled it and I, I looked up the first website that had advice on how to become the best version of yourself. So here are the top six things that were listed. It was an article in Time Magazine. Are you ready? Are you, I mean, are you ready? Because this is great stuff. Write it down. Seal it in your heart. Top six. First, just show up. Second, start from the beginning. Third, recognize that the best version of yourself should be your vision and not somebody else's. Four, stop looking for a secret trick. Five, don't sweat the details. Number six, my personal favorite, use Twitter to network. <laughs> Do we even need this gospel? Do we even need to explain or open up the passage that we just heard? Haven't, hasn't our thirst for spiritual wisdom been precisely met? I mean, is, aren't we satisfied? Can we all just walk away right now full? Okay, of course not. No, understand. Best version of yourself, okay, fine, okay. But I wonder how many big decisions in our life are made with some version of become the best version of yourself in the background. It's like the constant background music, right? More than we probably realize. Those of you trying to choose a school, best version of yourself. By the way, if you're trying to choose Carol and you're looking for a sign, I'm it. Come to Carol. Okay? <laughs> That's your sign from God. It happened in church. You can say I had a, I had, you know, I heard these words in mass. Come to Carol. And that's what just saved you a bunch of discernment, right? But the school you choose, how's it going to make me better? The major you choose is going to make me a better person. The internships you do, right? the career path, all sorts of things. How's it going to make me a better version of myself? And again, some of that is good and necessary, but we should be careful when it starts to shape our spiritual life, just becoming a better version of ourselves, right? Why go to Mass? Oh, I'll be a better person, a better version of myself. Why pray? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be better if I do, right? Why serve others? I'll, I'll be better, and I can put it on my resume, right? Okay, it runs the risk of being real calculated. That's the danger. And also kind of indirectly egotistical, right? That's not that. Now, prayer, mass, serving others, that's going to make you a better person. Perfect. But that's not really the point of Christianity. It's not. Our faith is not some spiritualized self-improvement plan. It's much, much, much greater than that and much more profound. What do I mean? The great C.S. Lewis helps. Mere Christianity. He writes this. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better. 
but like turning a horse into a winged creature. This isn't better version of ourselves. I'll just be better. God wants to do something radically new. The temptation for us, though, is to reduce the spiritual life to best version of myself. I'll just be better if I engage spiritual practices. I'll become a better person, a better version of myself. But that's not what Jesus wants. He wants to make us a winged creature. And sometimes we back away from that because it's like, well, that's a little unusual. But that's what Jesus wants. He actually wants us to be unusual. If you don't believe me, you didn't listen to the gospel. Because that gospel is full of wildly unusual things. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And on and on and on. So, fellow Christians, how are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Some of you are like, I, I, I couldn't even call my mom on the weekend. Or my roommates annoy me, right? We can't even do the simple stuff. How are you doing with the hard stuff that Jesus commands us to do? See, this is where the best version of myself plan falls apart. Because we can't just make ourselves do these things that Jesus asks. He wants us to become winged creatures because only winged creatures can live the way that he is inviting us to live. Not just inviting, he's commanding it of us. And so we need grace. And what is grace? It's God's own life. We need his own life to break into our hearts. We need his love to come crashing through the doors of our hearts to save us and then to render us capable of loving like we're supposed to love, of living this Christian life. That's what we need. That's not mere improvement. That's not something that we put our mind to and put our will to and say, well, I'm going to get there. No, this is transformation. And that's what Jesus wants for every single heart in this chapel. He wants to change our lives, to transform us, Not just to be better versions of ourselves, but to be entirely new in him. He's the new Adam. We're not called to be like the old Adam. We're called to be like him. And that's a powerful thing. We need it. We're made for it. By the way, we're actually hardwired for it. St. Augustine, when he says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, you've made us for yourself What he's saying is, we're suited to this life of grace. Even though it's supernatural, even though it takes us beyond our human nature left to itself, we're made for it. We're wired for it. When I was in seminary in Rome, we had this great Spaniard, Father Salvador Pienino, and he talked like this. But he would speak to us, and one of the phrases that he loved saying over and over was, Kapax Dei, Kapax Dei that the human person had the kapox day, the capacity for God. And you have that, and I have that. It's written into our nature. And in fact, not to engage that, 
not to live that capacity is so far below what God has for us. We're not meant to live simply natural lives. We're made to live supernatural lives. That's the call of Christianity. And that's, my friends, why we come to Mass. Why we pray. So that we might be unusual in the way we live and in the way we love. Is your life unusual in the way you live and in the way you love? Jesus wants it to be so. <laughs> Just yesterday, I went to get a haircut. Now, I don't know how many haircuts are in my future because pretty soon I won't need one. But I went to get one yesterday. And I go into great clips, and I end up having a great conversation about priestly celibacy with the lady who cut my hair and her two friends. We were the only people in the place. And she was just like, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, wouldn't it be better if you could, like, be with a woman? And I'm like, let's talk. There was no one waiting, so I just sat in the chair, and we had a great talk about God and about what real love is and about intimacy, that everyone's made for intimacy. And God is the ultimate source of that. And I left. We all laughed, had a great time, and I left walking away going like, that certainly has never happened in great clips before. I promise you that has never happened in Great Clips before. What an unusual, blessed encounter, right? But that's what life with Jesus opens up, not just for me as a priest, but for all of us, for you. If we fall in love with the Lord, if we let him be the center of our lives, then all of it opens up. Because, see, we're called to love in an unusual way which is to love like God loves. And he's generous to the good and to the bad. Jesus says, your heavenly Father is merciful and kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's unusual, certainly for us, but that's how God is. We're called to love like him. But we can't do that out of just sheer imitation or our own willpower. We have to do it through participation. Friends, there's a huge difference between imitation and participation. That's why I never liked those WWJD things. What would Jesus do? It's like, well, what, okay, how would Jesus act in this situation? Well, I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't work very well. We have to live in him. Carol Student Snow, my favorite, one of my favorite lines of the Mass, through him and with him and in him. That's participation. That's not imitation. That's participation. His love breaking into my life and flowing through me into the world. His grace, his life, his wisdom, his mercy, all of who he is coming into my life and then through me into the world. And that's, my friends, what it means to be a Christian. That is mere Christianity. That's being a winged creature, not just a better version of yourself. And my friends, that's for every single person here tonight, every single one of you. 
what an awesome God we have who wants you that way to participate in his very life. Now, it's a gift. We don't earn our way to it. We don't figure it out. We don't learn and, and reason our way to it. It's a gift that he gives. But because it's a gift, we have a part to play. We have to receive it. We have to accept it. We have to say yes to it. So one very practical way to receive that gift and to allow that participation in God to happen in your life. Here it is. I'll give you the top six. Give, 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 and give. Give. Make your life a gift. Don't make it about what you can acquire or what makes you better. Make your life a gift. Jesus says, give, and gifts will be given to you. A good measure, shaken down, and overflowing will be poured into your lap, for the measure with which you measure will be measured back to you. That's the key. And my friends, by the way, it's the key to your happiness. You try to provide for yourself, you try to make your life this amazing thing, you'll be unsatisfied and unhappy. But when you forget yourself, when you give to others and especially to God, then everything opens up. Be generous before the Lord. Give him everything. And not when you're 45 or 55. Give him everything now. Because then his life will pour into you. And that's what you're made for. I promise you, you will never outgive God. He is never outdone in generosity. So give him everything. The good things in your life, the bad things. The things that you're doing well with, the things that you have questions about, the struggles you have. Give him everything. Your sorrows, my friends, even your sins, and especially your sins. Give him everything. Be generous. Trust him. Is it risky? Yeah, it is. It's easy to live a safe life with a Christian veneer. But we're not made for that type of safety. We're made for great things. And that requires some risk. Open wide the doors of your heart in generosity to God. Give him everything tonight. And then watch. Watch what he does. And watch how your life becomes an amazing adventure.